Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Imagine that we are investors, searching through the portfolio strategies offered by our employer's pension plan for the most sustainable combination of risk and reward in balance with our deeply held personal values. Mindy Luber, CEO and President at Ceres, and my guest for today's podcast episode, is asking us to also imagine that the government, or somebody who wants to use its power, has decided that we shouldn't make those more sustainable investments, or even that we couldn't. These policies are currently taking many forms in multiple states in the United States. Luber and I will discuss this backlash against the growing level of investment in addressing the challenges of the climate crisis and in taking advantage of the business opportunities to solve these challenges through the companies we choose for investment. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Mindy, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm very excited about our discussion today, and we'll just jump right into the first question. Mindy, large institutional investors that manage trillions of dollars on the promise of long-term growth see a lot of danger in failing to act on climate risk. How are they, as fiduciaries, reacting to these state-focused policy decisions? Turning finance and our economy into politics, into divisive politics, is, of course, stupid, irrelevant, well, it's not irrelevant, uh, and dangerous. And in the end, I think economics will prevail. I mean, I remember a presidential campaign that said, it's the economy, stupid. If investors are saying, which hundreds and hundreds of investors are saying, that climate risk or water risk or, or other risks have a financial impact on their portfolios, they have to consider it. If it's a negative impact, they should decide, do they want to be in a company or not? Um, but this crazy newfangled campaign that says, uh, if you're an investor, you can't consider climate risk or water risk or human rights risk, that's sheer insanity. What investors have to do by law in response to their fiduciary duty is look at the financial strength of the companies in their portfolio. If a company is at major risk due to climate change because they happen to live in floodlands where they're being seeing massive floods every year or forest fires every year or droughts every year, the companies that live that 
are going to be weaker, going to turn less profits, fewer profits. If you were in a in a parallel company and your cotton crop died due to either drought or flooding, uh, your value of your company goes down. It's that simple. If you're the Gap, Levi Strauss, you need cotton, as do all um, apparel companies and most manufacturers. So for somebody to say to an investor, you can't consider that, that that's just not the way markets work. What's happening out there, I believe, is that there is an attack on investors now, of all people, uh, for considering and acting on climate risk and opportunities because they've moved so far in that direction, because climate has such a profound economic impact and markets are starting to factor it in and companies and investors are, all of a sudden there's some argument that they ought not to be doing it. I don't think they're gonna prevail. I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it's about economics. And I don't think that's where our capital market um, future is going. Great. Well, thanks for those opening remarks, Mindy. And as you were just saying, hundreds of S&P 500 companies are currently developing robust climate transition plans because they're well aware that climate change isn't some woke political project, but an incredibly real financial risk. So how are Ceres and other stakeholder advocacy organizations promoting this perspective to the larger U.S. business community? Well, we work with about 120 large businesses. We were um, in the United States, although most of them are global, and we work with 580 global investors. And collectively, what we are doing is, number one, making the case, repeating, developing, working with some of the best scientists and the best economists to show that climate risk is a financial risk. It's also a scientific risk. It is something we must act on and acting on it for investors means mitigating risk and finding opportunities. I mean, the United States just passed the Inflation Reduction Act. $370 billion is going to go into a clean energy future. Our investors want to be on that, on that story, on that trail for investing in the companies that part of the clean energy future. And they want to be out of the fossil fuels that don't have the same kind of future. So this is about economics. It's about science. It is about clear facts. And there are people who want to suggest that science doesn't matter or facts that don't matter. I think the people we're talking to, the people who are making some of the largest financial decisions are following the facts, they're following the economics, and they will address climate risk as they do that. Okay, now, as you mentioned, uh, you have a whole group of corporations that are actually members of your organization. Uh, they're members of the series company network. And these businesses recognize the business benefits of integrating sustainability into their core business strategies. So how are your series company network members reacting to these state-focused challenges to climate mitigation and adaptation investments? The companies that we work with, and so many more, there are about 2,000 companies that have committed to science-based targets to getting to that net zero by 2040 or 50. And not every commitment is grounded in a short, medium, and long-term plan. Part of what Series does is work with those companies to turn commitments 
into clear transition action plans. Because if we commit to doing something in 2040, but we don't start until 2037, it's impossible. It will not get done. We need short, medium, and long-term goals that are accountable, that are clear, that are transparent. For the companies that we work with, and again, these are large companies, they're Apple, they're PepsiCo, they're Coke, they're not tiny little companies. They are well down the road of integrating climate risk and water risk and human rights risks uh, into the value of their company. They've set goals. Their board is asking for accountability on that. Some of their CEOs are compensated because of it. We're training more and more corporate board directors like every month on why it is their role to look at the risk from climate and other market risks. So I don't think the companies are turning back. I think they are too far down the road. They got down this road of acting on climate because they see it as a business risk and a business opportunity, and they're not turning back. Will they be a bit more quiet over the next six months as this crazy debate swirls around us? Perhaps, some will, some won't, but I don't see them backtracking on what they need they clearly need to know and need to act on, which are real business risks and opportunities. Now, you, you've just talked about what the companies are thinking and doing uh, with you, with the support of organizations like Ceres, Mindy. So it seems to me that asset managers should be factoring climate risk into their investment decisions. And uh, give us your perspective on that. Well, we're making progress. We're not all the way there yet. But the fact that three years ago, we had no asset managers other than maybe two or three small niche um, asset managers who would commit to a net zero future. Now we have 285 of them. As asset managers, big players like State Street and BlackRock and so on. Now, they're moving slowly. They're integrating it. They haven't gotten out of fossil fuels yet. So there's nothing perfect, uh, but they are making commitments and starting to build portfolios around getting there. Further, the asset owners, the large pension funds that you talked about and others, um, if we look at three or four of the largest asset owners in the United States, the California Public Employees Retirement Fund and the Teachers Retirement Fund in California or the New York State Comptroller, they're each responsible for about $450 billion. They are telling the money managers who are their external managers, they don't all work directly for them. They want their money managers to analyze climate risk and water risk and human rights risk and factor it into their analysis. So are we there? We are not there yet, but we are on a path to get there. Um, and I don't see us turning back. I do not see the market signals changing in a way that there's a good turn back. Look, they know what numbers are. They're smart people. They got to where they are for um, a good reason. If you look at the impact on a company that whose manufacturing facility can function without enough water, and they happen to reside or have manufacturing facilities in areas where the water crisis is growing more and more every day, that's not a company that's going to be strong over the long term. And our investors both want that information 
and probably are not going to choose that to be the first company they invest in. I mean, this is about real numbers. This year alone, we've seen upwards of $100 billion in losses from climate climatic changes. If you look at um, Pakistan, where a third of the country was underwater, if you look at Puerto Rico, if you look at what just happened in Florida, these are massive financial hits to our economy. Those are just going to grow if we don't address climate change. And so the financial folks that we work with see the risks are getting larger and larger every day, and mitigating those risks is crucial to building portfolios that get good returns. And, you know, we've been talking about painting a broad picture here. Let's take it down to the local level. You've mentioned a couple of, of disasters in specific locations around the world this year. But on a day-to-day -day basis, is there data available that suggests how companies factoring sustainability into their internal investment decisions affects local workers and or residents in the communities where these companies are doing business? Right. I'm going to answer it more broadly and then come down to a more specific answer. Sure. We certainly know that companies who are addressing sustainability, um, who are values-driven and economics-driven, or companies that are seeing a better response from their consumers, they're getting much stickier involvement from their employees, meaning people are staying longer and they're happier, um, and they're building an enterprise together. And, and that is a good thing alone. When companies care about the communities they're based in, you know, some companies, the amount of pollution, hazardous waste, oil spills, those are not the companies that build favor with their communities. And it is an ecosystem where when companies care about their employees, their consumers, the communities they're in, um, that often is about a well-managed company that's looking at the metrics. Not only are they a kind company, they don't exist to be kind, um, but companies are stronger who are managing an ecosystem of issues and integrating it into what the board looks at for the company, what the CEO directs the team to do. I mean, when we work with companies where the CEO says, we've got a climate transition plan, and every part of the company should be part of implementing it. It's not just about their sustainability team. It's about their strategic planning team. It's about their operations team. It's about their financial team. It's about their whole supply chain. Those are the companies that are both making progress on the problems and that the investors believe are well-managed companies. I mean, think about agriculture. In California, due to the heat wave for several years running, and one year it was due to too much rain, farms were operating at half the capability that they usually operate on. And what that meant was 50% of their farm workers were laid off. Well, that's not good for the community or the agricultural business. It means food prices went up. It means restaurant prices went up. It means truckers, in some instances, were laid off because we weren't moving as much food across the country. It had billions and billions of dollars of implications for the farming industry and the food industry related to that. Those things are real and happening every day. When companies are seeing now rivers, that used to be major thoroughfares for delivering product on ships, on boats, and boats can't get through now, or they can't get enough water in other ways, 
that has a profound impact on the economic well-being or the share value of a company. So the investors really are saying to the companies, evaluate the risk in a much broader way. And the investors want to see that disclosed. So as you probably know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC right now, is considering a rule that mandates the disclosure of climate risk. It tells any company that files of 10K, which is just the term of the particular form, uh, that they've got to disclose their risk as well as their opportunity because investors need that information. And the SEC is largely saying in the draft rule that we hope will be finalized soon, that data is crucial, that companies need to analyze the risk to their companies, they need to disclose it in their SEC filings. And I can assure you investors are studying those filings. They are looking at, does a company have risk or does it not? And risk is generally not a great thing for many of our investors. They want to know companies are managed well. They're not going to have lots of spikes based on risk. Uh, and they're dealing with the world around them, which is different today than it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But you know, as parents, as professionals, we have to adjust and change due to the difference in the world every day, and finance is no different. Mindy, this is such a broad topic. Uh, we could, I'm, I'm sure we can talk all day long about it, and there's so much more uh, helpful information and knowledge that I know you could share with our listeners. So maybe we'll have you come back uh, down the road a little bit and, and revisit this topic with us. Uh, but for the time being, where online can Sustainable Finance podcast followers go to learn more about the full menu of advocacy, engagement, and educational programs that Ceres offers to the business, investment, and policy-making communities, as well as to the general public? For uh, We would love people to visit our website, www.series.org. It is our job to make the case, to show the case to financial leaders and corporate leaders, work with them to set the most audacious goals around climate risk, around water risk, around human rights, because they are good for the bottom Acting on them is good for the bottom line, as well as, of course, good for humanity. It's okay to have two wins within one. Great. Well, thank you very much again to Mindy Luber, the CEO and president at series.org and to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Music.